0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now, once again, by Ryan Abraham, USCfootball.com. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Ryan, good morning.
1: Good morning. Getting ready for some uh, big college football this weekend.
0: Yes. And uh, PK knows this from doing the show. You know, I just psychoanalyze everybody and their moods and why people are the way they are. I just can't help thinking about it. And as I was watching that USC game, knowing we were going to have you on, as I watched USC play better and better and go from being in danger of being blown out by Stanford to blowing Stanford out and completely flipping that game, I thought, I wonder, was that like watching like a six-year-old kid eat like four bags of M&M's and then run around on a sugar high? Is that what USC fans are like right now?
1: It's a, sort of a mixed bag. There's a, because it's weird right now because there's a lot of USC fans that almost wanted – Uh, Stanford to win that game because they just want to see a change at the head coaching position with Clay Helton. But there's a, you know, I think the majority of the fans were extremely happy. It's a rival, you know, outside of UCLA and Notre Dame, Stanford's right up there. So to be able to to bounce back like that and and get the blowout win was big. But yeah, early on, it looked like Stanford was going to blow USC out. They're up 14-3 and they Recovered a fumbled kickoff and you know, USC was able to hold them to a field goal and, and went on a forty two three run after that. Yeah, but it was a pretty crazy situation to go from you know everything was doom and gloom to holy cow, USC's killing them.
2: Yeah, it really is amazing. This might be the only time in history, and me as a former South Bay guy, I'm geeked about this. That SC is playing BYU in Utah in consecutive weeks. Since I have strong roots down there, I'm loving this. These the. Obviously, this week and then next Friday, and so as we watched that game, all of us were just so amazed to see that young quarterback do what he did. And this week, we've adopted. Can BYU and then next week Utah? Can they slow the Slove? What do you think of that? Pretty catchy, huh?
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, it's good. And you know, BYU's secondary looks like they've been good this year. It's I'm gonna, it's interesting. To see, it'll be interesting to see how Keaton Slovis plays on the road i think against a tougher secondary uh, but also how much they use the running game because byu has been you know giving up some some yards on the ground so i, I think graham harrell the offensive coordinator has been uh, uh you know willing to run the ball more than you know in the different kind of offenses. you see with the air raid like a mike leach type of offense if they feel like there's a better match up there or if they're going to let their true freshman kind of sling it all over the field but yeah he's he couldn't have much of a better start for his very first start as a true freshman. It was the best one in USC history as far as, you know, freshman debuts. But I think, you know, for, for BYU and Utah, you want to beat USC, you're going to have to slow. He did slow us down somehow. And uh, we'll, we'll see. It's only, it's, you know, he only has one start, but it looked pretty good than what we saw.
0: So was this – we had Norm Chow on, and, you know, he's kind of wired in, but he's not there every day or anything, but he still texts with people and talks with people. And he said he was surprised the quarterback battle went on for so long. And I think that was generally viewed, and in Norm's tone, I think it was viewed as, man, how come a guy with experience can't lock this down? In retrospect – were the coaches seeing something out of the freshman thinking, we don't really want to play the freshman, but, man, look at him in practice. Maybe we ought to. Was that what was going on yeah. in August? I think there's a
1: little bit of that,
0: yeah. I mean, we talked
1: to Graham Harrell, and he was definitely singing the praises of Keaton Slovis. But I, it, the weird thing is, guys, when we would see you know football in the spring, football in the fall, it looked different for all the quarterbacks. I mean, just having this better offensive system in place – was a big deal. And, and a guy like Keaton Slovis could come in, You would think, oh, he's got a red shirt. There's three guys with experience in front of him. Um, but he was competing and uh, he was putting in a position where everyone was sort of starting on the same page because it was a new system, but it was all, it was easy for all of them They you know, we'd, they'd, we'd have scrimmages. You'd see all four of those guys get in there and all four of them throw for high percentages. So I think it definitely helped uh, that, that this new system sort of put them on more of a level playing field, but he was playing above that three-star ranking he had coming out of high school.
2: So do you think this AD situation works to distract or galvanize the team?
1: That's a good question. Um, there's, there, You saw some of the tweets from a couple of the football players. Didn't seem to be all that upset that Lin Swan uh, was gone. Uh, I I think it sort of hyper-focuses uh, just focuses things for, for Clay Helton especially. Because Lynn Swan is the guy that had uh you know, Clay Helton's back and you know, it there's gonna be more uncertainty now. And I think the focus on just, hey, you gotta win games is is even more so now. Um, he's not gonna have someone in his corner uh, like Lynn Swan and I think he knows there's gonna be a lot of pressure. It it might be like, Oh, you have eight and four an uh, eight and four season, it's pretty good. That's not good enough. Or even a nine and three season or some people have said even like a 10-2 and two season where you don't make the playoffs. Like I think now it's about, hey, man, all bets are off. We have no idea what's going to happen if they bring in a new athletic director. They might have the full intention of getting a new head coach no matter what. We just have to kind of put our nose to the grindstone and win games. So I think it might, I don't know about being a distraction, but I think it's going to you know, focus this team more on, hey, we just have to win now because the future is uncertain.
0: I'm curious, with all the talk about the first six games, and of course it led to, you know, oh, they could be 2-4 and four and Helton could be gone by midseason. Well, now they're 2-0. Oh, at what point do these guys just start thinking, we are awesome, look at us shred the early part of the schedule? I mean, do they need another win? Do they need a second conference win? I don't know if you can get inside the, the brain of 20- 20 and 21-year-olds, but at what point did these guys start believing, and that alone takes them to another level?
1: Yeah, I think they started believing like when they were down early uh, against Stanford and were able to come back. Last year's team would have never come back from that point. So I think it gave them confidence. I think the defense has more confidence knowing that the offense is going to come out there and score points, where I think last year the defense maybe got a little bit bit of a bad rap, but they were put in a lot of bad situations. There's a lot of 14-point leads early in the game that USC blew. I mean, they lost four games last year where they had double-digit leads. So I think... It's sort of you know when the offense would kind of just shut down and not be able to do anything. It really was demoralizing for the team. Now that you know the offense can go out and score points, I think it helps all units and they all they all feel better. Like oh you know even if we get down, we can come back and score some points. So I think that's that confidence has helped. But to me, uh, I mean these next two games are key. Um, I mean the Utah game especially because it's you know probably for the, the you know the Pac-12 South winner will come out of the winner of that game most likely. So if you know they can start off four and zero. I mean that's a way different than what I thought the season was going to go. Um, I think that would give them a lot of, of confidence. But you know the the two road games, Washington and Notre Dame, are sort of up for grabs. But I think the the Utah game is really important just because it's for you know likely for the division. And if they can win the division, at least it's a step in the right direction.
2: I can't say that I'm. Extremely surprised, but I may maybe mildly or a little surprised on how well they've been able to run the ball so far. It's only been two games, but I I thought that you know, given the fact that they threw the ball for 377 yards against Stanford, I thought the running game was good enough. What is your evaluation of it?
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is an offensive line over the last couple years that you know that underperformed compared to the talent that they had, and it just didn't seem like it was a cohesive unit uh with tim drevno the new offensive line coach who moved over from running back and he was the old offensive line coach at USC. he was sort of out of position uh last year i think it's helped quite a bit and i think their strength and conditioning program changes in the offseason helped too i think it's a tougher group of guys i don't think that the line is as deep uh, or as talented maybe as the last couple of years but they're playing at a much higher level and, and i think tim drevno you know talked about that in practice this week uh they you know that they'd know that that was a question mark. You know, a lot of people say, hey, what's the question mark on a team? You say the offensive line. But I think that the line is playing better, and I think the scheme it's helping them more where they're getting the ball out faster so pass protection isn't as hard. Uh, you really don't have to hold your blocks all that much. But I, that still doesn't equate to, hey, you can get some push when you need to to pick up short yardage situations in the run game. And they were doing that pretty well. So, like you said, it's only two games in but they look a lot better in that aspect of the game than we saw the last couple of years.
0: You know, it's early in the season, so there's still going to be surprises as far as what teams can and can't do. But historically at BYU, they've been pretty good against the run. There have been games where the secondary's been exploited, you know, if you go big picture. But watching that USC game, I was stunned at how good the running game was, and I couldn't really make up my mind if they were better power run right between the tackles which helped them finish drives and get them in the end zone. But when they did run outside, they like caved in the whole side of Stanford's line a couple of times. I mean, there's this guy running all by himself down the sideline. There's nobody around him. USC better power run game or better getting guys outside into space because they got athletes and let them run.
1: I think I'm going to go with the latter. I think that you know you saw like Stephen Carr run around the edge for a 25 yard touchdown, and uh, I mean even in the the passing game, they're the quarterbacks are taught to. You know, swing it out there if the first couple of reads aren't there. If you can put, you know, you put it out in the flat to a guy like Stephen Carr of a Vive they can make guys miss. And Carr, Carr in the first game, uh, he had a couple of touchdowns against Fresno State. He was making like two guys miss on every play. So I think getting those guys in space is what they're probably best at right now. I think they'd like to get better uh, at some of the power stuff inside. And, you know, they, they might be. We just haven't, I don't think the sample size is big enough yet, but we right. know the kind of athletes they have. If you get them outside in some space, they're going to have uh, success. So we'll see. I think that the inside game is still much of a work in progress, but they've, they, they've, just, they've shown when they get like Stephen Carr outside there, he can make guys miss and, and find his way into the end zone.
2: I'm trying to figure out the psychological advantage, disadvantage from the BYU perspective as far as SC coming in. Now that they've won two in a row and they're ranked, it seems like, as you've noticed and have uh, told us, that there's a lot more positivity surrounding the program, and all of a sudden the arrow is pointing extremely high. you got Utah next week, and you've already acknowledged it very well could be first game of the conference season for the Utes, second for SC, but it could determine who wins the South, so I'm trying to figure out, how does that work in BYU's advantage or disadvantage to have SC? Because maybe if they had lost a game, uh, they wouldn't be a sky high, and they might be looking towards a Utah next week. But now that they're 2-0 and and everything's pointing positively, i got to believe that they're at the top of the game. So I can't really figure out any psychological advantage or disadvantage for the Cougars.
1: Yeah, I think um, – I mean – for BYU fans, like, USC could certainly be, you know, take this game a little lighter than they should, you know. And I think, um, you know, they were really excited uh, in the locker room. We were in the, you know, in the the post-game media room and the locker rooms next to it, like through cement walls. And, man, it was pounding. They They were really excited about what was going on there. And I think Clay Hilton addressed that this week. It's like, this could be a trap. You have to make sure that you put that behind you uh, if it was a close Stanford game, maybe they would, you know, be a little more focused. On, it's hard to say, but I think there's a potential there for these kids that felt like they were so sky high. They know they got Utah coming up next week that they overlooked this one a little bit, which I think would be obviously a huge mistake. I mean, you saw you know BYU go on the road and get a big win uh, in Knoxville. Uh, that the schedule for BYU the month of September is absolutely brutal, as you know. Um, but if you looked early in the season for BYU. And which game do you have the best chance to win? You probably circle the five and seven USC team that you get to play at home. So I think this is a game that uh, BYU is probably very focused on, and there's potential for some of the play, at least some of the players at USC, to be looking ahead to Utah. So I think there could be a bit of a psychological uh, you know, advantage there, uh, especially with you know BYU coming off that huge road win and being able to play in front of their home
0: crowd. We've been doing this a while, and there was a coach who didn't win very much at BYU and got fired, Gary Croton. But he told us both things about football that were so true that it panned out. I mean, I I can still hear him 15 years ago saying, watch young quarterbacks in the NFL, watch young quarterbacks in college football. They're good until they get in the red zone, and then they're bad. The throwing windows are small. They throw the ball. Even if they make the right throw, if they make it half a beat late, that window closes, and it gets batted down or it gets picked off. And he told me that, and I can't tell you how many times I've been watching a game, and I've seen that come true, and I think of him saying that and think he was spot on in the red zone if BYU kind of plays the bend but don't break, drops eight guys, keeps everything in front of them so they don't get out-athleted you know, in some one-on-one matchup, which I think is a pretty likely strategy for them. How much do you trust USC to execute in a close game in the red zone on the road?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because Stanford played a lot of uh, man-to-man, and USC could kind of flood uh, the entire secondary with their, I mean, they have really good wide receivers, and they were able to win a lot of those matchups. And I think it wasn't that hard for Keaton Slovis because it was, you know, if first or second read, he wasn't taking a lot of time, and he was finding one of the guys open and, and delivering the ball. But if there's more guys back in coverage. I think there's certainly uh, you know, more opportunity for your young freshman quarterback to kind of hesitate and then miss that window that you guys were talking about. That's not really the way Stanford played, That I think it's going to be a better BYU secondary in general. And I think he's going to see some different coverages than what we saw against Stanford, who likes to kind of play you straight up, athlete for athlete. And USC just had way better athletes this time around. So that's something I think you definitely want to watch if if you know, I think he's going to get his yards. You know, I think they're going to move the ball. But if you can lock it down in the red zone and you force field goals instead of touchdowns, I mean, that's a way you can win games. So I, I like what the coach said. I think that's something you certainly want to watch for. This is his first road experience in college, and uh, you know, you can, you can only do that once. So it, it might be a good time to get on top of uh, Keaton Slovis and and make sure that he's able to make the right reads and throw into tighter windows than he would like to.
2: So, when does the talk of JT Daniels transferring start?
1: <laughs> it has. I mean, it, it did. As soon as like Slovis threw his first touchdown. The ball started. was in the oh, air.
0: Man. I'm in the transfer portal.
1: <laughs> I'm out. I mean, it's, it's like, it's so crazy now. I mean, USC just had one of their wide receivers who had one yeah. catch in the Stanford game, yeah. Devin Williams, enter the transfer portal. I A lot of people that. felt like he's got all this talent. You right. know, it's, it's just different now.
2: Yeah, my thought is that a quarterback is either a three-year starter or he's a grad transfer starter.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good point. I, I think there's similar aspects, too. I think this happened at Georgia, right, with uh, Fromm and Jacob uh, Eason. Yeah. And yeah. one guy starts his whole freshman year, and yeah. then the next guy, you know, he gets right. hurt. He's
2: exactly it's, the same. Uh, it's
1: definitely, you know, but I, I think there will be jokes where it's like, oh, that guy threw an incompletion. He's going to enter the transfer <laughs> portal tomorrow. You know, it's like it's just kind of overreaction to everything that happened.
0: So speaking of overreactions, USC is a dumpster fire. Clay Hilton's going to get fired. They're going to be 2-4 and four after six games. There's that end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, well, they had five receivers who are going to the NFL. If they just find themselves a good quarterback, you know they're going to be on their way. SC's going to the playoff. When you hear those two things, what do you say? Well, after Fresno State, I was thinking the former, and then after Stanford, it's closer to the
1: latter. I mean, I predicted this team would go seven and five, but it's it's feeling more of a nine and three, ten and two kind of season. Now they they still have a lot of warts. There's still a lot of problems from last year that haven't been erased by bringing in, you know, Graham Harrell and a few other assistant coaches. So I, I and I think Stanford can be. We like to call it a false positive sometimes, where you look really good against Stanford. It doesn't mean you're going to be really good the rest of the year. It's just a unique kind of squad. So I I'm just going to reserve judgment for the next couple of games, but if if you know, if they're able to go 4 and 0, I mean, I I think everyone on their schedule's beatable and they got a shot at making a run, but I think it's more likely to kind of split those games or, you know, end up, you know, 3 and 3 after your first, you know, your your first six and then you're you're probably in the middle of the road range again. But I I don't know, guys. I mean, this is just one of those things where I didn't think they would look as good as they did against Stanford. Now I'm kind of like taking a step back on, all right, well, they they have the roster, but they just haven't been able to put it together the last couple of years. So the roster's there. The talent is there. If they can actually play up to that level of, uh, you know, talent production, it it could be a a really good run for USC.
2: This isn't your area, but real quick, uh, how much of a disaster is it over in Westwood?
1: Oh, my God. Like, I was such an advocate for... People would say, don't hire Chip Kelly. He's going to be terrible. Like, no, he's going to be amazing. I think I was wrong. (laughs) He he is definitely a lot more like the 49ers Chip Kelly than the UCLA Chip Kelly. And I didn't think that was going to be the case. It's just like they're not recruiting well. The offense looks bad. I mean, it's just they're playing a lot of young players, but they brought 17 starters back from last year. And an 0-5 start is almost likely at this point. uh, And that's what they did last year. So I don't know. I mean, Maybe he turns things around. It's, it's almost like you're treating these games as preseason games so much. But, uh, it's guys, it just doesn't seem like it's it's going. It's certainly not going the way I thought. And uh, I never thought I'd say this, but they might be firing him after his second year, which is baffling to me.
0: Well, having grown up rooting for San Diego teams, and, you know, I tear up at the mention of Don Correale, uh I didn't mind seeing that. You know, the 23rd yeah. time was the charm. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> That Ryan, pretty, yeah, I mean, th- thanks for a few minutes. Here. <laughs> yeah, right, Ryan. Thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it, and if you don't mind, we'll bother you again next week.
1: That sounds good. Thanks, guys.